SAFM Market Update with MoneyWing. Five minutes after six o'clock, Hilton Tarrant with you on the Market Update this evening. Uh, David, very quickly before we hear from uh, Gugu, uh, power update uh, from ESCOM. Uh, it has capacity of 36,000 megawatts for this evening, demand forecast at around 34,500. Uh, and it seems as if ESCOM has brought back some... Uh, some units from unplanned outages. There's about 1,000 megawatts, 1,500 megawatts extra in the system. It's about the first good news we've had today. (laughs) If we have a power out, that will just make my day after today's market. Well, first up, as always, here's Gugu with your business news. Thanks, Hilton. Good evening. Junior coal mining firm Coal of Africa plans to shut its Moy Plants colliery in South Africa and will begin talks with unions and other parties on potential job cuts. This comes after several mining firms like Amplatz and Glencore have also taken similar measures in an attempt to restore calm to the mining unrest that has taken over several mining firms across South Africa. And South Africa's Purchasing Managers Index, or PMI, was virtually unchanged in the month of May from the previous month, although the new sales orders and business activity subcomponents declined, pointing to depressed demand in the manufacturing sector. Turning to the markets now, the JCO share index is end of the day off in the red, down by 2.5% today at 40,957 points. The rand's at 9.87 to the US dollar, 15 rand 9 cents against the pound, and 12 rand 90 against the euro. Gold trading at $1,413 an ounce, a barrel of Brent crude oil at $101, and the platinum price at $1,499 an ounce. Thanks, Gugu. David Shapiro of Sassfin. Tough day of trading. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember a 2.5% day decline. I know we've had some pretty hefty falls along the way and some pretty hefty rises, but 25 I can't remember, and, and I'm sure that there'll be a lot of people out there who do stats and that, but this is a heavy day. You know, having reached heights on Friday, all-time heights on Friday, uh, to suddenly reverse is quite disturbing. And uh, I think we, we were hit on three fronts. Uh, three, uh, first, Iran improved quite dramatically. That was, uh, you know, that, that, that was obvious. I think after the kind of run we've had, there was bound to be some kind of uh, clawback. Uh, and even on the, uh, just watching the wires today, they were, or even watching CNBC and, uh, uh, Bloomberg's, you know, they were suggesting that it's time to, to go along with the rand. And from a trading point of view, that it will rebound. Um, the other one is we, we're still suffering from worries that Bernanke is going to, um, claw back or, mm. uh, sorry, uh, taper his, his stimulus programs. So that's, that's been playing on markets. And then the third is this, this growing view that uh, um, we've seen the bull market in currencies, emerging market currencies and uh, um, bonds, and it's time to pull out the bull markets over there. So almost three fronts that we're fighting on that just kind of converge to send us down. So more and more negative news building on emerging markets, which we can't stop. You know, it's got nothing to do with us. It's just, uh, um, I think, perhaps investors believing they need a higher premium in emerging market uh, stocks or bonds if they're going to stay in. I'll tell you who shares your views, Sean Ashton of Anchor mm-hmm. Capital. He joins us at about quarter past six this evening. Not just a record day on the all share on Friday, a trading record as well for the equity market on Friday, 290,259 trades valued at $34.3 billion. That's 21% higher than the previous record set back in August of 2011. And the all share up 8.5% in May, 
Which I guess puts paid to the uh, that uh, silly rhyme, selling in May and going selling away. Selling May and going, I know, it was a splen- you know, sp- uh, spectacular month. And I think one, if you look at even the uh, overseas markets, you know, if you look at the, the S&P, it's no wonder that there's this desire to actually push it down and to take some profits and just get used to it is going to happen. I think we're going to have a tough summer. In terms of movers, so 52-week highs on the market for AECI as well as famous brands. Those are the only two 52-week highs on the market. On the low side, Capitec, JD Group, and Able. I guess no surprises there. No, no, and I think they continue to come under pressure. I saw Able trading at 15.20 at mm. one stage, and it's beginning to affect um, Capitec as well. Uh, a lot of the banks were down. First round down 4% today. In fact, wherever we looked, I'm surprised there were any... 52-week highs. Mm. Uh, it was hard to find any any green. So it was among all the sectors, um, resources, financials, and industrials that we saw big sell-offs. And of course, where you see the sell-offs in um, British American Tobacco, SAB, that was the RAND mm. improving, but also the fears on, on European markets about the Fed tailoring back its stimulus program. So, you know, that's why we saw such heavy movements down on those shares. Not a single stock in the green in the JSC Top 40. In fact, Discovery, Mm -hmm. uh, the leader in inverted commas, Mm -hmm. down only 0.1% on the day. Avenge, a construction company, out with a business update as well as a statement regarding the Competition Commission Fast Track uh, Settlement Inquiry. It says the commission will make an announcement in due course with regards to its findings and will disclose the quantum of the administrative penalty levied against Avenge. The settlement amount is within the range provided for by the company, but until authorized to do so by the commission, the company cannot disclose the amount involved. Yet others have, David. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, other companies have, yes. So I suppose it's a fairly large amount, but at least we come into the end there. And, you know, we can start to pick up from now on. Whether, whether you want to buy construction shares or not in this kind of economy or in this kind of mood. But uh, I think it just, just brings it to an head. Well, it's order book uh, for the next two years, up 6% mm. from December, uh, now at $41.8 billion. But digging into the detail, that's where it gets interesting. Mining down 16%, mm. so the order book there, 7 billion rand. South Africa and Africa up 9% to just over 6 billion. Mm. And Australasia and Pacific up 11% mm. to 28 billion. Right? Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's where it's taking place with Avenge. And I think you've got Wilson Bailey in a similar situation, mm. still relying on everything outside of South Africa. So if you take Africa and Australasia, um, you know, that's the vast bulk of their, uh, of, of their order book. We're still waiting for the expenditure to take place now. And, uh, Hilton, it's hard. I mean, if, if you've got interest rates rising now, You've got global interest rates leveling out. The, the attitude towards emerging markets, you know, when we go and start raising money, um, it's going to be a lot more difficult than it was a few months ago. And, of course, that's going to mean the costs go up. And, of course, we've got a rand that's a lot weaker, which we now uh, convert into dollars or into borrowing. It makes all these projects a lot more dearer than, uh, the, you know, than we envisaged a year ago. Well, further turmoil in the mining sector today. The Wall Street Journal breaking the news this afternoon that the chair of the Lonman branch of the National Union of Mine Workers was killed in a shooting. Another new member also shot and in hospital. Lonman shares off 6% on the back of that news and ending the day well over 7% weaker. 
this against the backdrop of talks between the Labour Minister Mildred Oliphant as well as Mineral Resources Minister Susan Shabangu along with NUM and AMCU at the Intercontinental at Tambo International. Earlier I spoke with Peter Major, Mining Consultant at Katie's Corporate Solutions and asked him for his take on today's events. I think the timing couldn't be better. Uh, it's, it's perfect. We, we've had a lot of ministers come up with totally different speeches, totally different attitudes towards industry and towards the good of the country that we haven't heard before. Usually they're always politicking, saying anything to get the masses on their side for another potential vote, another potential election. And now we've had the president and ministers coming with a different tone for some law and order and for some mature thinking, some mature actions. And so last week, was all talk. Now this week is going to be action. Is government going to back up their talk with some action? We also heard a comment from the Labour Minister, Mildred Oliphant, who said, and I quote, if government has to deploy a peacekeeping force at the mines, then it will do so to keep the peace. I guess that links with uh, with your thoughts around needing to back this up. Yeah, exactly. You know, this should have been going on the first time there was an illegal strike, the first time there was a violent legal strike. This thing should have happened. It's way overdue. It's a decade overdue, but it's always better late than never. And and this could be our Damascene moment, our Damascene change, if, if government's actually going to try and implement the rule of law and adherence to our, our principles, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights. Peter, your thoughts, I mean, looking forward, this week could be very, very chaotic on the ground, but we might actually achieve a lot. Yeah, because we were speaking about winds of change. Starting last week, again, it was just talk, and talk is cheap and there's lots of it. That's what politicians thrive on. But at least it was talk in a more positive direction for industry and for the country than we've heard government speak of in a long, long time. So, yeah, there is a little chaos on the ground. And, hey, when you have a change in direction, yeah, some people get left behind, some people get scratched up. But this is a big change in direction and it's a positive direction if government can follow through with actions now. Your take on, on Glencore Extrada, they uh, fired uh, a thousand workers across three of the chrome mines uh, here in the country over wildcat strikes? Now, now, this is normal policy. When people embark on an illegal wildcat strike, that means they disobeyed the law, they disobeyed the contract that they had with the company, and it means they've even disobeyed their own union. So, the natural result of that is people get fired. And that's why you don't often have wildcat strikes in a civilized country that adheres to the rule of law. So I think Glencore senses the change in government, the change in the attitude of ministers and our president towards the mining industry. And, and I think they feel that they've got government on their side for once. They, they know they have right on their side. They know they have the law on their side, but they need government support on their side. And this is a real litmus test now. That's Peter Major, their mining consultant at KD's Corporate Solutions. David, very interesting take, uh, perhaps not mm. the obvious take on, on what's happening. Well, he's, he's believing that government's going to take action. 
You know, I don't know what a peacekeeping force is. If they have to do that, is that the army? You know, that's the last thing you want to do is send the army in. Or is it going to be some security guards? Um, or, you know, are, do we have enough, what, what, what we saw at Marikana is that we don't really have police who are geared to actually handle a situation like that. Look, it's not, it's not Marikana, but I think that, uh, you know, if you can get some kind of force, and I'm saying, I don't know what it is going to be, that can actually impose the law, sure, it's going to help and it's going to help us. Ten years ago, we hosted the inaugural Kimberley Process Summit. For the second time, South Africa is chair of this important international structure. On behalf of all South Africans, I am proud to welcome back members of the Kimberley Process to a renewal of our collective commitment to an equitably prosperous world, free of conflict dams. This message is brought to you by the South African government. 17 minutes after 6 o'clock this Monday evening, while the RAND 12% weaker against the dollar in the month of May, but we weren't alone. Indeed, the Aussie dollar lost 8% against the U.S. greenback in the month. The Brazilian real fell by 7%. Sean Ashton, fund manager at Anchor Capital, joins us now. Sean, tons of speculation about this so-called collapse, especially after breaking the 10 rand psychological level against the dollar last week, currently trading at 9.84 against the U.S. dollar. Anchor Capital publishing a special report last night. What's the root cause of, of this RAND weakness? Good evening, Hilton, and uh, good evening to your listeners as well. I think, yeah, just to firstly provide some context, obviously, as you've seen, we're about 30% weaker against the greenback on the RAND versus about two years ago, and roughly about 12% in May. We've, get, we've given back about 2% of that today. But uh, I think, you know, the way we would look at things is that the root cause really for us um, is that the, the commodity cycle, super cycle, should I call it, appears to have ended. This uh, this weakness, as you say, not only recent, it has been weakening uh, since May of 2011. But beyond that, though, we, we do tend to have these short memories and uh, moves over recent months and even in recent years are not unusual, especially if you go back on a, on a longer time period. Absolutely. I mean, one of the key points that we make in this report is that uh, you know, we've entitled it, uh, we all have short memories. We've, we have seen this before. Um, you know, if we look back over the last 13 years or so, we, we can count certainly at least six time periods over that, uh, or six periods over that time which, in which the RAND was depreciated by at least 20% in a matter of months, sometimes only a month. Um, but w- what you've tended to have seen is that the, the periods of weakness have been generally quite short and sharp, uh, whilst periods of overvaluation have tended to have been, tended to have been sustained for, for quite some time. And we think that, uh, you know, the, if you look at periods of weakness versus overvaluation relative to the dollar, the, the overvaluation has tended to have occurred during time periods of, of very easy global liquidity as well as strong commodity markets. Sean, what about the the current situation in the mining sector, in the in the labour sector? You've got social political issues there. You've got uh, fiscal issues with the country running twin deficits, and, and many news reports often placing the reason for the rand's weakness at at one or two of those those uh, issues doors. I think that's it, Hilton. I mean, if you look at the, the certainly the, the very recent rand weakness that we've had, if you look back to kind of August 2012, prior to that time period. 
um, you know, the RAND was actually quite a highly correlated currency relative to emerging market uh, equity indices and dollars. They tended to have moved quite closely together for, for long periods of time, even 10 years. Uh, and if you go back to the events of Maricana, that was when we saw, we noticed quite a break in the correlation between the RAND and those equity indices. And the RAND has, you know, dropped quite substantially relative to, or well, that correlation has broken down, should I say. Um, so we think you, know, you can obviously put that uh, at, at the doorstep of, of kind of socio-political events, as well as the labour disruptions that we've seen. And I think that you know when, when foreign investors look at our market and look at look at the currency, they certainly don't like to see images on, the, on their screens of uh, people getting shot in uh, in public unrest. And that, that kind of creates question marks in one's mind around the you know what that does to sustainable growth in in a, in a, in a particular country. Sean, at 10 rand at 9.84, where the dollar or the rand currently trading against the dollar, we can pick any number, 10 rand 30, is it too cheap at these levels? I think that's, that's the other comment that we make in this note. It's, uh, obviously, it's quite painful to see one's purchasing power erode quite quickly, um, but the point we would make is it's, it's probably incorrect to simply assume that the rand is, is too cheap at this point in time. Um, whilst you've obviously had heavy bouts of weakness and strength over time, um, you know, we, we quite like the, you know, in terms of trying to arrive at a fair value for the currency, we, like, we quite like the notion of purchasing power parity, which essentially suggests that a currency's value should change on a relative basis to other currencies on the basis of inflation differentials. In other words, the rate at which consumer prices or purchasing power, uh, uh, purchasing prices change relative to the countries over time. Now, if you look at those numbers, you know, U.S. inflation has been roughly three and a half points below that of South Africa over the last 13 years or so. Um, so if you look back to kind of May 2000, and, uh, 2000 we, you know, if you take a price index of 100 relative to the U.S., we're sitting at about 150 in South Africa now. So that should justify currency levels roughly 50% weaker than where we were then, um, which would put you at a number closer to about 11 rands to the dollar uh, today if you take kind of May 2000 as a starting point. Obviously, you can pick any, ch- any time period. But we think that's a that's a particular spot where um, you know we had neither very strong nor very weak currencies relative to to, to the US dollar or, or other crosses. Sean Ashton is a uh, fund manager at Anchor Capital. David, very interesting, very interesting mm. calculation. You know, the one thing about periods of previous weakness, um, you know, in in the round, it came in the '98 emerging market crisis. It came in the internet bubble. It came. Uh, Lehman Brothers collapse. There were more globals. This is us. You know, this is more South Africa worries about deteriorating fundamentals in South Africa rather than some global event that has brought us down. And I think that's what makes it slightly different now. Um, and I, I think that's why foreigners are looking at emerging markets. We're not the only one. They're looking at Australia differently, you know, uh, with the super cycle in commodities having ended. And uh, um, so, yeah, you know, we could stay weaker uh, for longer. Yes, we'll rebound because we've just been so weak. We could even come back to 950 in the current thing and then see where we go through from there. Ten years ago, we hosted the inaugural Kimberley Process Summit. For the second time, South Africa is chair of this important international structure. On behalf of all South Africans, I am proud to welcome back members of the Kimberley process to a renewal of our collective commitment to an equitable 
prosperous world, free of conflict diamonds. This message is brought to you by the South African government. Well, it's almost 25 minutes after 6 o'clock. In our Market Commentator Weekly podcast this week, I spoke to Pitful Yun, founder and chairman at ReCM. The transcript and audio is up on moneyweb.co.za as well as in our apps. We spoke about his shift out of the CEO's chair. We also spoke about the three issues he thinks are facing investors today. Now, in times like these where people are willing to pay almost any price for assets in certain sectors of the market, value investors and the typical value investing approach tends to get a bad rap. I asked him if that's always the case. Look, I've been managing money for 25 years now, and this is not the first time this is happening. This is easily the sixth or seventh. If you just look back in history, um, at the different times when value investing has been out of favor, there's always been some sort of story on the go that investors can latch on to to justify them buying whatever is in vogue. And the thing is that human beings love stories. Stories give humans a sense of comfort and when we invest we're actually looking for comfort Mm. and we tend to overpay for assets that give us comfort and that leads to low returns uh, because high returns come from taking on discomfort but as human beings we like being in a herd and we like being comfortable and stories make us comfortable so you look back over the past 20 years at all the stories uh, you know in the early 90s it was the Asian tiger story didn't turn out very well. Mm. Then you had, in South Africa, in 96, 97, 98, uh, you had the whole small cap boom and financial sector boom. You know, all the small financial companies had listed then. That didn't turn out very well. Then in 2000, you had the IT bubble. Another story, you know, that we could latch onto and believe and understand, and which was rooted in the truth. Like, technology has changed our lives. Unfortunately, investors in IT didn't make money. Then in 2003, we had the RAND bubble. You know, the RAND would always depreciate, and we had to have dollars, and we had to be in the U.S. and in London and New York and, and that sort of thing. We had to get out of South Africa. All costs South Africa was ex-growth. That was a story in 2002, 2003. That didn't turn out very well because that was the start of a 10-year bull market in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And then in 2005 and 2006, we had the U.S. property uh, story, and in 2007, 2008, we had the... Uh, Chinese the commodity super cycle story where you know China would continue to buy as many commodities as mines could produce uh, forever and commodity prices would just continue going up forever uh, that was the basis of that commodity super cycle story so unfortunately investors in that story didn't fare very, very well either um, so there's always a story going on and the story is rooted in the truth but it gives rise to excessive valuations because more and more people latch onto the story and buy up those assets which are associated with the story and ultimately leads to poor returns. And right now, we are seeing another story. And the story goes something like this. Governments are keeping interest rates extremely low. I can't live off my investment income. Because of that, I need to take more risk to generate income. I need to get dividend income What's a safe place to get dividend income? Well, good quality defensive type companies like SA Breweries, BAT, and that sort of thing. And we'll just buy those. And again, that story is rooted in the truth, but the valuations of the assets associated with the story have become extremely excessive. Uh, and we not invest in those areas. Peter, is it difficult to stay disciplined? I think that is probably the competitive edge of a good value investor is that ability to stay 
discipline because it's very, very hard to do that. So if you have a philosophy, a value philosophy, and you have a process of implementing that philosophy, sticking to that process and staying disciplined is a very strong competitive advantage, and that's exactly what we're doing. If we if we look across the market, um, and, and I've scanned your your kind of fund uh, flows and, and portfolio holdings, um, you have um, increased your your weighting in platinum. Not yes. surprising, given obviously what we've what we've just spoken about. Um, in the uh, flexible equity fund, um, Amplat, Slonman, Impala is now 15% of that fund. Um, was that?